to the podcast series from Square Mile, Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. As you know by now, in this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds the Square Mile analysts rate and like to spend 15 minutes or so chatting to them to get insight into their thinking. This week, our guest is Richard Woolner, Fixed Income Fund Manager at M&G. Richard's a manager of the uh, M&G Optical Income Fund, the M&G Corporate Bond Fund, and the M&G Sterling Corporate Bond Fund, all of which are A-rated by our Fixed Income Fund analyst. Richard, welcome. Hello. Now, Richard, I'm going to start with, um, given what's going on in the in the press and the news that came out in the last day or so, um, at your conference back in February, you indicated you thought inflation would come down faster than perhaps people would expect, and it was being driven by oversupply of money rather than the supply of goods. Uh, four months later, inflation has come down a bit, but it's still uh, probably a bit higher and stubbornly higher than central banks would like it to be. Where, where do you see us going from here from that perspective? Well, monetary supply, um, interest rates work with a lag. So we started putting interest rates up in autumn of autumn to November of uh, 2021, I think. So 18 months on from there is around now. They started off from a very easy policy. They've only just uh, in the middle of doing their quantitative tightening program. And that only started uh, in autumn of last year. And so it takes 18 months. Uh, monetary policy takes 18 months. It took them a long time to create the inflation behind the loose monetary policy. And it'll take uh, time for the inflation to come down. But the central bank is determined to get it back to 2%. There are signs that monetary policy is working. Uh, the best example would be just see sterling strength. Obviously, the stronger sterling is, uh, the cheaper it is to import. Uh, so uh, it's just monetary policy works the lag, the inflation work with a lag and the removal inflation will work with a lag. As a fixed income manager, we care what the average inflation is going to be over a long period of time, not necessarily what today's print, whether it's a negative print like we had in 2021 or whether it's a large print as we've been having recently. Do do you think there's a risk that um, having taken as long as they did to get going in terms of the changing of the policy and starting to raise interest rates, they're going to overshoot on the other side and cause a uh, keep raising them too long for relative to what's going on in the economy? Uh, Central banks, uh, like all individuals, uh, make mistakes and uh, committees are very good at uh, producing solutions just because you have a lot of people there doesn't mean you get a better result yeah. they can still make mistakes as well um uh, it is one of the things that happens if they could have tightened earlier we wouldn't have had as much inflation but again you've got to look at it in historical context uh, though going into the christmas before they were starting to tighten there was discussion of further lockdowns yeah now we can look back and say there isn't so they had a very difficult job they were given something to do. They didn't know what the economy was going to do. They didn't know what the, the correct health and political response was going to be. So the, the most encouraging thing, really, the thing that surprised me most of the last year, is that uh, everybody sees inflation as a uh, as a bad thing. And yeah. so there seems to be the political will. There seems to be the economic will to remove it. Uh, and that's not just a UK phenomenon, but a European and a US phenomenon as well. 
So that's really good for long-term fixed interest. The worst thing that could have happened was they say, well, actually, we don't care about inflation anymore. Uh, but obviously they do. Uh, that means uh, you know, short rates are higher. But it means on average, long-term interest rates are lower. And uh, if inflation returns back to two or around two, that's where we'll sit. So I was going to ask you, because uh, on that basis, if that's good news for fixed income and you know, the last nine months or so, the fixed income analysts at uh, Square Mile have come back saying that uh, managers like yourselves have been more excited about future prospects for the mm. asset class than they have been for, for years, uh, almost decades, because, you know, when you've got very low inflation and very mm. low interest rates, it's an easy money coming out of central banks. It's not been a massively good environment necessarily to, to get good returns from the fixed income markets. Um, does that mean that this is about as good as it gets for investors putting their money to work in fixed income, given the cycle that we're going through? I think the way to think about it is think about what's normal. So we've gone from a situation that was not normal. Zero interest rates are not normal. Negative interest yeah. rates are not normal. Uh, so all that's happened is we've normalized. So if you think that long-term interest rates as a framework should be long-term inflation, let's call that 2%, plus long-term GDP growth, real GDP growth, let's call that 2%, you get to long-term interest rates of roughly around 4%. That's roughly where we are today in 30-year bond yields. And so it's just a normal market. There will be better chances to buy fixed income and there'll be worse chances to buy fixed income because interest rates and volatility and things happen. But from here, it's around about fair value. And so I think the, 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 um, uh, the crux of your question was more about there was something that was very expensive, not offering value, yeah. which is extraordinary. We will pay you nothing. To yeah. one where we will pay you four is obviously it's a normalization uh, as opposed to anywhere else. And going back, as you say, since the financial crisis or since 2012, the European crisis and Brexit and COVID rates have been very, very low. So this is a more of a normal market uh, compared to where we were before. And you know, when rates were near zero, there was very upside, little upside in buying a bond because it's hard for it to go to a negative yield. Yeah. And when rates are, uh, are this level, there is upside as well as downside. It's a lot more balanced than it was. Um, Corinne, um, and that's interesting because that ties in last week's podcast. Martin Walker from Invesco, who's head of their UK equities, said exactly the same thing, that if you had started as a graduate eight or nine years ago, you thought that was the, the period we've been in for the last 10 years has been normal. But actually, that's been abnormal. And mm. you see this as going back towards normality, which is the same as he's seeing in the UK equity market as well. Yeah, I'm saying uh, for me, it's, it's, it's almost like um, uh, you're a graduate. <clears throat> the years ago, you know, 30 years ago or 40 <laughs> years ago. I can't work these numbers out anymore. I'm getting so old. Uh, so uh, uh, obviously, growing up in the 80s, uh, going to university in the early 80s, coming to the workforce in the mid 80s, I'm, I've seen inflation before. I've seen high rates before. Um, and so uh, I've seen different types of monetary policy before other people haven't seen. Uh, and I think uh, that gives you a little bit of... Um, um perspective about what is normal and what is not yeah. as i said a reference rate four percent is roughly normal if you assume two percent inflation if you think gdp growth is lower or higher that move that number if you think inflate long-term inflation is higher or lower that'll move that number yeah. but i think it's fair to say that central bank is aiming towards two percent and there's signs we're going to get there sterling is stronger 
the price of oil in uh, in sterling has, has has come down a great deal from where it was before. Um, the inflationary shock is disappearing. Supply chains are open. There are certain sectors where there's still tightness. Uh, where obviously in terms of let's say travel or something like that, yeah. which has been delayed. But uh, the traded goods sector, there is signs of uh, uh, increasing increasing supply, and uh, we'd expect interest rates work. They work with a lag, uh, and there's two legs to that at the moment. One is putting rates up, which reduces yeah. aggregate demand. The other one is by reducing the supply of money. If you reduce the supply of something, you increase its value. Uh, if you increase the supply of something, you reduce its value. Yeah. And the central banks have printed a record amount of money, and they're about to start destroying a record amount of money. Uh, yeah. If you're a monetarist, you believe purely in that. If you're not, you might be skeptical about what, what how that works. Brilliant. Um, thank you for that. Um, now, Richard, you are uh, and have been running, as you just said, um, money in, in fixed income for um, decades. Um, you've been at M&G nearly for 20 years, I think you're coming up for. It, it, it's get, I think it might be. Um, I think it, it's getting there. Yeah. Is it next? I think next year might be your anniversary. It's January, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so how, how do you split your normal day? What do you what do you do? You your co-manager of a couple of funds. You obviously have a team of guys around you who work with you, etc. How does it all how does it all fit together? Well, I just end up in a routine. So your routine is, um, you know, uh, morning meetings with the analysts and, and with the other fund managers where things are discussed. Um, uh, you know, fitting in and, and and meeting clients' needs and other people's needs like this, where you, they fit into the diary. The first thing we always think about is duration. Are interest rates going up or down? The second thing we look at is you know what kind of asset class do we want to own? Governments, investment grade or high yield? Yeah. Uh, those things don't change regularly. They shouldn't do. We're not traders. Uh, and then uh, we spend time thinking about which bonds best suit us to meet those requirements. So which investment grade bonds to own? And then lastly, we do decide an investment grade bond. You know, what term do we buy it for? Uh, what part of the capital structure do we buy? Which currency do we buy it in? I think that's one of the things that's really changed over uh, my 20 years at M&G, is that the breadth and depth of the ways we can buy something has increased substantially, because issuance in the neuro market, which wasn't really developed when I joined in 04, more issuance in the capital markets in general because banks don't lend as much because of regulations. Yep. Uh, so suddenly the um, the ingredients we have to play with have increased substantially. And I think that's quite different versus equities, where the yeah. ingredients you can play with equities have been reduced. It seems yeah. like tech disappears out the FTSE 100, but our ingredients have expanded. So I think um, it's one of the uh, pleasures of, of what we do is that there's usually something that isn't quite right. So there's always something for us to do. And do you see that going forward? I mean, looking forward for future opportunities. You, you, you've obviously seen a, a, an increase in your your uh, options to invest in. Do you think that's something that's going to keep evolving and in terms of new things coming into bond markets? And do you get sucked into the private market as private credit as well and things like that? Or um, not, I mean, not so much. There's a mixture of things for us. It's not um, uh, as a house. Uh, we do uh, private credit. It's not particularly suitable for the nature of the funds I run. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of regulations, in terms of liquidity. Uh, so, uh, you know, we are uh, daily dealing uh, uh, funds. So that provides a different place. Uh, but for, for, for a wide range of investors, it does provide opportunities for some. 
but it depends, you know, what, what kind of sophistication they have and, and, and what kind of advice they take. Uh, for us, it's um, uh, it, the main thing is that as long as uh, globalization continues, as long as companies keep borrowing money, and as long as the banks don't re-enter the market, then all that lending and borrowing has to take place in the public market. Mm-hmm. And that public market is the bond markets. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the uh, the big driver of what's happened. And the way to think about this is that banks used to disintermediate everything. So suddenly the bank somewhere pressed a button, they lent a lot of money somewhere. Uh, one person doing it. Now, I'm a firm believer that an unregulated banking system results in better growth mm-hmm. or lesser regulated, need some regulations, a lesser regulated banking yeah. system provides more growth because more people can borrow and lend and save. At the same time, it results in more boom and bust because mistakes get, making, get yeah. made. Whereas if you have a more regulated banking system, there is less growth because it's harder to borrow money for a good idea and a bad idea, but yeah. there's less booms and busts. If you had a completely regulated banking system, nobody could ever borrow money or do anything. It'd be like, you know, how do you, how you'd be like, a, how do people get money to grow? There wouldn't be an opportunity yeah. to borrow, to buy a house, borrow to run a business, borrow to finance a trade. So there's, there's a combination in there. So because the banks have gone into this sort of, uh, um, you know, more conservative mandate, whether it be from the regulator, whether the shareholders or their management, it means that the boom bust has sort of been eliminated. Uh, and it's a lot more stable than we have in the past. I think the yeah. best way to think about this is the normal shock in the system here would be interest rates uh, going up, obviously, because to tame inflation. Uh, but the effect uh, on the banking system is probably a lot lower this time around because the nature of their balance sheet and their books are far more controlled than maybe they would have been in other speculative periods. So yeah. you can see how that boom bust has been eliminated. That's generally good for credit. It generally means inflation stays lower. Um, and I think that's the thing that's really changed from when I joined to now is that banks used to do all these decisions, borrow short, lend long. Now, assets and liabilities are better matched. And how do you lend, let, borrow long and lend long? That's corporate bond markets. OK, got it. Um, and so in your things, in your portfolio, you sit down, you're sitting there thinking about duration, where you're positioning, where do you want to be on that interest rate? spectrum whether you're short dated so uh, or, or whether it's much longer how, how are your portfolio is positioned at the moment and, and what are what are your current favorite ideas within the portfolio well in terms of duration just take like a purely uk centric fund if i have a fund that's the the index duration let's say is six yeah uh, and let's say uh, we communicate to clients that if we're really bullish we'll have a duration of nine really bearish will have a duration of three whereas before we'd be near the bottom of that line during 2021 now would be a duration we've gone back of overweight so it'd be something like seven so we're using a third okay. of our risk budget to be long because rates are attractive we think inflation's coming down and the uk looks cheap internationally when you look at it versus europe and the us historically it looks cheap you could argue that's justifiable from a political point of view or justifiable from an inflation point of view but one of the reasons it's cheap is, again, comes back to nothing more fundamental than supply demand. You, Bank of England has just sold a huge amount of corporate bonds it owned. Well, that depresses the price of corporate bonds. Yeah. 
the Bank of England selling gilts that it bought previously, well, that will suppress the price of gilts. And you see that happens because obviously in the trust uh, situation, they went and bought lots of gilts and they drove the price up. So yeah. they sell lots of gilts, they're going to drive it down. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the technical at the moment is quite interesting. And that's why the UK is in a different place. It started putting its monetary policy tightening first. It's the first to do like substantial quantitative tightening, which yeah. means selling bonds, getting the cash and destroying the cash. Yeah. So, um, you know, the side effects that are obviously reduced amount of sterling in circulation. Uh, theoretically, it's different to inflationary and theoretically increases the value of the pound. The less pounds there are, the more it's worth. You see that around the world. If a country prints, prints lots of currency like Argentina, yeah. you know, its inflation tends to be wider because there's more tokens. If you yeah. don't print the tokens, you know, you don't. So, so what keeps you up at night then? What, what worries you as a fixed income manager? It's the inflation shock we've had. Is it the trust quasi quieting moments? What, what is it that keeps you awake at night? I mean, you could get the persistence of inflation, um, but I think because the central bank has decided to act against that and seems prepared to act, and we'll find out as time goes by. And I think monetary policy does work, and it works for the lags. So inflation can be controlled. Um, uh, as always, it's some out-of-the-field uh, political risk, uh, yeah. which are always the things that increases inflation and reduces growth. You know, nobody, in any asset class, you don't want inflation to go up because it means rates go up. You don't want growth to go down because it means people start defaulting. So anything that can cause those big dislocations, obviously the biggest example we've had, uh, again, nobody would have thought about, uh, would have been the COVID situation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so those things sort of sit there. Um, but generally speaking, I think that we can get inflation back under control. Uh, we can do that without harming the economy. I think the big question at the moment is that, and the divergence between people who may be more bullish and more bearish is uh, some people take the view the only way you to kill inflation is to have a recession. I think inflation can come down without a recession. So I'm more in the no landing, soft landing, yeah. as opposed to the hard landing, painful landing camp. Uh, so, and we'll find out over time who's right. So, so, so if we had a, if they, if they overshoot, we have a really hard landing, that will probably not be quite so good for your portfolio relative to... To where you're positioned no, at the moment. No, because we, we like credit yeah. risk. We think um, credit's fine. And that's very different, I think, from a lot of people, um, I think, uh, and from the index. Um, and uh, it would imply they've had to do that because inflation's out of control. Yeah. So why have you had a hard landing? Because inflation hasn't come down. Inflation keeps yeah. going up. Well, we need, a, we need to do that fight. I think that monetary policy as it's set will work. Uh, but there's lots of leads and lags through this cycle. And whereas before we would sit here in our own duration because we say inflation is coming back, we didn't think this much would come back. Yeah. Uh, but the risk rewards were unbalanced. Now the risk rewards are fair. Uh, and in fact, they're slightly skewed because I think that um, inflation will come back under control quicker than the market believes it will come under control, uh, partly through existing policy and partly through the destroying of money, the council culture that monetary policy has. Brilliant. Um Right, final question of the uh, of, of the chat, um, and I ask everyone this because it always produces an interesting or divergent answer. Last week's included Beyonce. What's the interesting statistic that you've heard in the last week or two that uh, listeners maybe find surprising or interesting or, or or the like? I do like the concept of an interesting statistic. 
<laughs> I have, I have, I have. You've immediately lost me there. That's like, I know I'm a bonfire manager, but even I find statistics not that interesting. So that that's my answer. I think um, um, it doesn't it doesn't sort of boil down to one thing. Um, uh, I think if you have to think about something, if you could look it up or do a chart of something, it'd probably be trying to work out the impulses and the leads of lags. So if you showed something like the oil price in sterling, yeah, and from memory, I think the oil price in sterling from uh, you know uh, pre for the first part of COVID where it collapsed and sterling was strong to where it obviously went through the roof and sterling was weak. I think that oil price increased substantially if you can see a chart of the oil price in sterling. And that obviously then feeds through into an economic effect because energy is more expensive, okay. an inflation effect, and that price has come all the way back. So following the price of energy in sterling is a key way to think, you know, what happens next. It's a big input into people's pockets because it deprives them we have to consume energy uh, and the central bank reacts by putting rates up so it's not good news i mean that's after all we'd all love to have free energy we'd yeah. all hate to have very expensive energy yeah. uh, and uh, so i think if i had to find something that's interesting uh, that's where i'd look but that's more of an, a market observation than a statistic well it's it's not a bad market observation to finish on richard so um all that remains is for me to thank you very much indeed for your thoughts and insights today um, and uh, as ever, to thank the listeners for their support. Uh, we still haven't had any of you contact us either through the web page uh, or by emailing us. But if you want to do so, the web page is www.squaremileresearch.com and the email address is info at squaremileresearch.com. podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremore Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremore makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity. And it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.